they've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome, welcome to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday. This is Friday of Easter week. So this is uh, April the 13th, I believe. Um, I don't know if I'm counting my days right. The 9th was the 14th. Today is the 14th. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Engineer. Today is the 14th. So we thank God for the day. We thank God for the resurrection. We thank God for Easter. We thank God for all his gifts and graces. And we'll begin with a prayer. Uh, During Easter time, we say the Regina Chaley instead of the Angelus. Instead of saying the Angelus three times a day, we say the Regina Chaley. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Queen of heaven, rejoice. Alleluia. For he whom you merited to bear, alleluia, has risen as he said, alleluia. Pray for us to God. Alleluia. Rejoice and be glad, O Virgin Mary. Alleluia. For the Lord is truly risen. Alleluia. O God, who by the resurrection of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, have vouchsafed to make glad the whole world. Grant we beseech thee that through the prayers of the Virgin Mary we may rejoice to share in his resurrection through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus Dominus Deus Sabot. Pleni sunt celi et terra, gloria tua, Hosanna in excelsis. Benedictus qui veni, te nomine Domini, Hosanna in excelsis. So here we are. We're celebrating the resurrection. Jesus died on the cross. But let's not get stuck there. Yes, it's important to remember. It's it's said that the Blessed Mother walked those stations of the cross every single day. That um, as long as she lived in Jerusalem, every day she would follow those stations. She would go and remember what Jesus suffered. So we don't forget it. But he rose from the dead, and we mustn't forget that either. Death is not the end of the story. Death did not triumph. Jesus Christ triumphed over death. He said you know, in the Psalms, it says it, the Lord would save me from death. Well, well, he died. The Lord didn't save him. Yes, he did <laughs> because he rose from the dead. So we want to look today at, at the meaning of this. And I, I my title was, um, if Jesus is not raised from the dead, dot, dot, dot. What does it mean for us? What does it mean for us that after his crucifixion, the Lord was raised from the dead? Well, first, we have to know what the resurrection is and is not. And we want to um, look at, you know, the prophecies about the resurrection. What is Jesus talking about when he says that the prophets foretold the resurrection? And um, so we're going to look at some of these things. And and that quote that I used is from from Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, 14. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, if he has not been raised from the dead, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. This is what the Holy Spirit had Paul write to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15, 14. If Christ is not raised from the dead, then the preaching of the gospel is in vain and our faith is in vain. Ah, but is it true that Jesus is raised from the dead? And in our world, you have all these different things that come up, right? So what what is the resurrection not? Well, the resurrection is not the same thing as when Jesus, um, you know, in the Old Testament, of course, we have the, the widow's son raised from the dead by the prophet Isaiah. Uh, or was it Elijah? Well, I'll have to look that one up, right? 
But we have Lazarus raised from the dead. We have Jairus' daughter raised from the dead. And we have the widow of Nain's daughter. Um, excuse me, son. The widow of Nain's son brought back from the dead. It was Elijah. Okay, so the, the, the res- resuscitation, we call that resuscitation. These people had died. In the book of uh, the prophet Elijah, 1 Kings, uh, it, not the book of the prophet, Elijah doesn't have a book. In the book of Kings, 1 Kings 17, 17 through 24, we have the story of the widow's son, the widow's son who had died, and Elijah comes and he raises him from the dead. Okay, and then, of course, you have G- Jesus bringing Jairus back to life. You have Jesus bringing um, Lazarus back to life. Okay, and then you also have Jesus raising the son of the widow of name. So you have these, but this is resuscitation. And all of those people had to die again. So this is not, this is not what the resurrection of Jesus is about, okay? That's not what it's about. Um, and again, so what else aren't they claiming? Okay, when the apostles preached the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, they're not claiming that Jesus's soul or spirit was alive with God. Okay, that somehow, okay, he's, he, 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 now he's alive with God and, and, and he lives in us in a spiritual sort of way. No, that's not what they're talking about, okay? Um, the, the, you know, the, the Jews, the early Jews, the first century Jews, and this is, I'm using um, a book, which I want you all to read. It's called The Case for Jesus, and it's by Brant Petrie. It's the biblical and historical evidence for Christ. Okay. Awesome book. Okay. Got to get that. Got to read it. Hope you all can get it. Okay. So the, the Jews believed that, you know, at death, you have the soul and the body and the soul and the body separate from one another. Okay. But the soul is in a state of immortality. That's what some of the Jews believed. Okay. In the book of wisdom, remember, it says the souls of the just are in the hands of God and their hope is full of immortality. Wisdom 3, 1 through 4. It's often read at funerals. It's a beautiful passage. You should look that up and read it. It's really beautiful. And Jesus talks about how Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are still alive. Remember? God is the God of the living, not of the dead. When the Sadducees, you know, they bring him that ridiculous story about, well, it's not ridiculous, actually, but the woman who had seven husbands. So who was she married to in the resurrection of the dead? Because the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. And Jesus is saying, um, because you don't know God and, and his word. All right. God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's the God of the living, not of the dead. Yes, there's a resurrection of the dead. Okay. So they aren't just talking about the immortality of Jesus's soul. That's not, that's not what they're referring to. Okay. They, they don't go around preaching that the, that the spirit of Jesus is with us or that Jesus is alive to God. Instead, around Instead, they, they went around proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus, the resurrection in the body. We saw him. We saw him. We touched him. As John says in, in his uh, first letter, we, we're talking to you we're, about what we saw and we touched, what, what our own eyes saw and what our own hands felt. It's, it's, this is real. This is real. Okay? So they're talking about a resurrection that, that um, remember at the crucifixion, Jesus really died. The man, the human nature of Jesus, the body and soul really separated. And his body was buried in the ground. And his soul went to the realm of the dead. And there he preached. This is what the fathers of the church have taught us and what the church teaches. He preached to the souls of those who were waiting for the Messiah. But his, his body was really in the grave. But his body doesn't undergo corruption. And why? Because 
the second person of the Blessed Trinity is still united to the dead body of Jesus in the grave and, and to his soul, which goes to the realm of the dead. So he, okay. So then we're also, um, they're not claiming that he was exalted to the heaven after he died. Remember, the apostles, for 40 days, Jesus remains on the earth preaching to them. Okay, he appears to them over the course of 40 days. He hasn't gone to the heavens yet. This is not, he's not totally separated from us and far away and, and um, okay, he's with us. He's with us. And um, there are scholars, modern scholars, who want to deny the bodily resurrection of our Lord. And we want to look at this today. We want to look at this today and understand that the bodily resurrection of our Lord, it, it's because it happened. I think perhaps the greatest argument for why it's important is because that's what happened. Do we have evidence of that? And that's what we want to look at is the evidence, okay? Um, you know, yes, the Lord Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven, um, is described in, in Mark, 16, 19, Luke 24, 50 through 51, and Acts 1, Acts the Apostles, first chapter 6 through 11. But the ascension of Jesus doesn't take place for 40 days. Okay, he's there for 40 days. And so we have, you know, um, when Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene, um, he tells her that he will ascend. To, but he said, what is he? Jesus said to Mary, Jesus said to her, Mary, she's standing at the tomb weeping. This is in John 20, 16 through 17. Mary is standing at the tomb weeping because Jesus is gone. They don't know where, where she doesn't know where they put him. So she turned, when he says Mary, she turns to him in, and in Hebrew says Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, do not hold me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I'm ascending to my father and to your father, to my God and to your God. So there's a clear distinction here between the resurrection of Jesus from the tomb and the ascension of Jesus into heaven. They're not the same event. He rose from the tomb on Easter Sunday morning. So the resurrection, what is the resurrection of our Lord? Um, and we're going to turn to the gospel accounts. It's all four Gospels record that, that the Lord rose from the dead on the first day of the week, that the tomb was empty. Okay? So first, the first thing that it means to be raised from the dead is that the resurrection that Jesus, <laughs> the resurrected Jesus has a body, a real body, Okay? He's not a ghost. Remember, that's what the apostles think when they first see him. Oh, it's a ghost. It's a ghost. And what does he say? Um, after um, Jesus himself stood among them and said, peace be with you. But they were startled and frightened and supposed that it was a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why are you questioning in your hearts? See my hands and my feet. Handle me. They've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. So thank you for joining us. Put on the coffee and get ready to open Virgin Most Powerful Radio, and we will be right back with more on the resurrection of the Lord and what it really means and what it doesn't mean and what it means for us today. Thank you for joining us. Share this with all your family and friends. 
Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on Bible with the Barbers here on this Friday, April the 14th. And so we're talking about the resurrection. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, then the preaching of the gospel is in vain and our faith is in vain. The resurrection, above all, constitutes the confirmation of all Christ's work and teaching. All truths, even those most inaccessible to human reason, find their justification in Christ's resurrection. In Christ, justification, if Christ, by his resurrection, has given the definitive proof of his divine authority, which he had promised. Okay, if Christ, by his resurrection, has given the definitive proof of his divine authority. The resurrection gives the definitive proof of God, of Jesus's divine authority. Number 651 in the catechism. And so we were talking about what is, we talked about what the resurrection is not. It's not a um, return to his normal human life. It's not just his spirit being present among us or uh, it's, it's a real resurrection. First, so the first fact, and we were talking about this just before the break, is that the resurrected Christ has a body, okay? So he appears to his apostles, and this is in Luke, you can look this up in Luke 24, 36 through 43. So he appears to his apostles, and, he, and they think he's a ghost, and he says, why are you troubled? And why do you, why, why do you question? Why do questionings rise in your heart? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they were still um, disbelieved for joy, incredulous for sheer joy is another way it's said, and wondered, he said to them, have you anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it before them. A ghost doesn't eat. Jesus ate with his apostles after he was raised from the dead. So you have this reality that he really does have a body, okay? Eating is one of the basic needs of our body. Now, Jesus doesn't need to eat. He has a resurrected body. But nonetheless, he has a body still. So his body is raised from the dead. So what else about the resurrection of Jesus? Second, he has the same body. Okay, this is the same body that he had while he was alive, okay? He still has the scars. He says, look at my hands and my feet. Why? Because you see the nail marks in my hands and my feet that I bore on the cross. And we have in Luke 24, 40. Oh, it's, yeah, his hands and his feet, remember? So we had that. That was what we read up above. But then we have, remember on the first day of the week when Jesus appears to the apostles, Thomas is not with them. And Thomas says, I'm not going to believe that he rose from the dead unless I can put my fingers in the nail marks and my hand into his side. And then I'll believe. So what happens? This is, God is so condescending. He's so patient with us. In John 20, 24 through 29, Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples said, we have seen the Lord. But he said, unless I see his hands, see in his hands the print of the nails 
and place my finger in the marks of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will not believe. Eight days later, his disciples were again in the house. This time Thomas is with them. The doors were shut, but Jesus came and stood among them. Peace be to you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put your hand and place it in my side. Do not be faithless, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not yet seen and yet believe. And so here we have Thomas professing why the resurrection is so important. What does it really be- prove? He, is, he was really the son of God, that this human nature of Jesus of Nazareth, his body and soul, his human body and soul were really united to the second person of the Blessed Trinity. And now he is raised from the dead by the power of God. So it's clear that the risen Jesus, he hasn't discarded his human body. He still has his human, and it's the same body. He still has his scars from the crucifixion, but they're glorified now. This is not, you know, it's, it's not, he's not suffering the pain anymore. He's alive, but he's alive forevermore, never to die again. And you notice he's with them, you know, the qualities of the risen body, the glorified body. The doors were locked and he stands in their midst. They didn't open the door to let him in. How did he get out of the tomb? He passes through the wall. He didn't move the stone away. The guards at the tomb never saw him. The angel moves the stone away. It's not, the, it's not Jesus who moves the stone. He passes through the wall, just like he passes through the wall when, um, when he comes to, to see the apostles Okay, at the Last Supper. All right, and then the resurrected body, he has a transformed body, and this is some of the things I was just describing. His body is transformed. It's the same body, but it now possesses new extraordinary qualities. For example, in his resurrected body, Jesus can walk through walls. He can veil his presence, and he can appear when and how he will. So we have the, the um, Jesus walking with the two disciples on the road to Amos. In Luke 24, 13 through 16. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Amos, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all the things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Okay, 24 through 13. 24, Luke 24, 13 to 16. So that their eyes were kept from recognizing him. He veiled himself to them. On the evening of the first day of the week, the doors were locked, shut, where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood in their midst and said, peace be with you. That's in John 20, 19. So in the road to Amos, they don't recognize him because he veils their eyes so that they can't recognize him. And in John 20, he passes through the wall. Okay. So it's not that they had forgotten what Jesus looked like on the road to Amos. It's just their eyes were veiled. They were kept from recognizing him. And this was God at work. He would be unveiled to them in the breaking of the bread when they get to Amos. Remember they stop for the, because it's night and then he breaks the bread. He blesses the bread and breaks it. And they recognize him in the breaking of the bread. Okay. So 
Um, so because after the resurrection, he possesses what the Apostle Paul refers to as a glorified body, one that has been radically changed. And remember in Corinthians, you know, the Corinthians are talking about, you know, the resurrection of the dead and what does a resurrected body look like? And, and Paul says, it's, it's ridiculous. Don't ask that question because if you had never seen an oak tree, could you look at an acorn and imagine what the oak tree looked like? We don't know what the resurrected body looks like. Although, and it's interesting because the apostles saw the resurrected body of Jesus, but they don't describe what it looked like. And maybe it's not describable in human terms, but it has these properties that, that Jesus didn't possess before to be able to pass through walls, to be able to veil his presence from others. Okay, so um, when the disciples say that Jesus was raised from the dead, they did not mean that he was restored to his earthly life, nor do they mean that his soul was exalted to heaven after he died. Instead, they meant that Jesus had been restored to bodily life a new glorified body and this glorified body Jesus and in this glorified body Jesus would never die again never die again so why did anyone believe in the resurrection okay why would anyone believe in such a thing well historically because it happened right <laughs> maybe So we have, after the resurrection of Jesus, even if you personally don't believe Jesus was raised from the dead, you still have to be able to explain historically how it is that the first disciples and thousands of Jews after them, as well as countless Gentiles, came to believe in the resurrection. So maybe you don't believe, but can you explain how these people believed and not only believed, but died as a witness to it? How is it that belief in Jesus' bodily resurrection swept like wildfire through the ancient Jewish synagogues beginning in Jerusalem and then went through Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So belief in the resurrection of Jesus did not spread because ancient people were any more gullible or credulous about miracles than modern people. And, and what's interesting, and Brent Peachy is going to bring this up, is that the apostles, it had to be proved to the apostles. They didn't believe, you know. In fact, the New Testament repeatedly informs us that the resurrection of Jesus was met with doubt, suspicion, and even ridicule, right? So we have, um, <clears throat> now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, and when they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. Now, this is, this is the account of the ascension. This is in Matthew 28, 16 through 70. He's going to give the account of the ascension. And it's 40 days after the resurrection. And there are still some who doubt. Okay. And then after he appeared in another form to two of them, and they went back and told the rest, but they did not believe them. So in Mark 16, 12 and 13, the two disciples who went to Amos and then Jesus unveils their eyes in the breaking of the bread and they return to Jerusalem to say Jesus is raised from the dead and in Mark's gospel some people they still didn't believe okay it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told the apostles but these seemed to them idle tales and they did not believe them Luke 24 10 through 11 they didn't believe it and of course Thomas we just read about Thomas did he believe no 
Now, unless I see the hand, his hands, the, unless I see in his hands the prints of the nails and place my finger in, and what's interesting, what does he say? He doesn't expect to see a resuscitated body. He, he expects to see, um, he expects to see the body that suffered. He expects to see, I have to see the nail marks and the wounds. He died, and I need to see that he, this is the same person who died. John 20 through 25. And then we have Paul in the Areopagus, right? And Paul, men of Athens, God has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all men by raising him from the dead. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. Remember, he didn't make much progress in the Areopagus. <laughs> When he talked first about the resurrection, Acts 17, 22, and then 31 through 32. So the first Christians and the early, they weren't gullible and they weren't easily convinced, okay? Um, they were ordinary people and they weren't easily convinced. And Jesus had to go through quite some length before they would actually accept the fact of the resurrection. So... We'll be back with more. This is exciting stuff. Please tell your family and friends to join us on Bible with the Barbers on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Share this with everyone you know. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome, welcome back to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, April 14th. This is the Friday of Easter week. We've been celebrating Easter. We continue to celebrate it for, it was, it's an eight-day celebration. So tomorrow, and then uh, is the eighth day, is the seventh day, and then Easter, uh, Mercy Sunday is the eighth day, and Mercy Sunday is Sunday. So please don't forget, Mercy Sunday, everyone uh, go to confession, get to confession today or tomorrow or on Sunday, go to Mass and Communion. Uh, the Lord has promised great graces. It's more than a plenary indulgence because in a plenary indulgence, in order to gain the indulgence, you have to be free of all attachment to sin, which you can ask the Lord for that grace to be free of all attachment to sin so you can gain the indulgence. But um, in the the in the in um, promises made to St. Faustina about the feast of divine mercy, Jesus doesn't make that stipulation. He says that they can go to confession and confess their sins so that they're in the state of grace we have to confess all of our mortal sins in number and kind when we go to confession. Um, and then we do, do the penance, we go to Holy Communion, and we ask Jesus to gain the graces that he promised to pour out on um, Divine Mercy Sunday. And I encourage you to pray the Chaplet of Mercy and also to um, pray the, the, the um, Divine Mercy Novena. And if you go to Marians.org, um, you can find the Divine Mercy. I'm pretty sure they have that on their website or the um and if not, in St. Faustina's diary, it's there. And then, so we're talking about the resurrection of our Lord from the dead. So why would people believe in the resurrection? So the first reason they believed is because the tomb was empty, okay? Now, the second reason they believed is because Jesus appeared, okay, to his apostles. So the appearances of Jesus, you have uh, appearance to Mary Magdalene, Matthew 28, 1 through 10, and John 20, 14 through 18. Jesus appears to several female disciples, Matthew 28, 1 through 10. Mark 16, 1 through 8, Luke 24, 1 through 11. Jesus appears to Simon Peter, Luke 24, and then uh, 34, and then 1 Corinthians 15, 5, and then John 21, 
1 through 24. Then Jesus appears to James, John, Thomas, Nathaniel, and two others, John 21, 1 through 24. Jesus appears to the 11 disciples as a group, Matthew 28, 16 through 20, and John 20, 19 through 29. Jesus appears to Clarifus and one unnamed disciple, that's the Rote Moss, and we wrote, read part of that, Luke 24, 13 through 35. And Jesus appears to more than 500 brethren at once, 1 Corinthians 15, 16, excuse me, 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 6. And Jesus appeared to James, that's also 1 Corinthians 15, chapter 7, and compare Galatians 2, 19. And then Jesus appears to Saul of Tarsus, 1 Corinthians 15, 8, and that's also in the Acts of the Apostles, also known as Paul. So, now granted, there are modern scholars who say, well, you know, all of this evidence about these appearances, it's so confusing and not everything is um, easy to reconcile. So um, they differ in detail. So um, why would we believe them? Well, yeah, they differ in detail. But if you were to ask two eyewitnesses of any event, do the eyewitnesses account of that event absolutely coincide? So that doesn't discount the fact. Okay, so so the scholars do uh, do do argue that the the details of the accounts differ, but the scholars do not differ on the fact that the tomb was empty, and he Jesus did appear to his disciples. Okay, and so also about the evidence is the evidence the gospels the gospel of Matthew and John are both written by absolute eyewitnesses. Matthew was an apostle, John is an apostle. The gospel of Mark was written, according to, to the fathers of the church, Mark was the secretary for Peter, and he wrote the gospel as Peter preached it. And the gospel of Luke, Luke says that he interviewed eyewitnesses. And it's also, according to the fathers of the church, Luke wrote the gospel as Paul had preached it, and Paul himself says that Jesus himself appeared to him and revealed the gospel to him. So he's not a direct eyewitness. Paul wasn't an eyewitness of the account. But Luke does interview eyewitnesses. In other words, he interviewed the Blessed Virgin Mary. He interviewed the apostles. He, when he met them, he asked them about details. And, and so in writing his gospel. So you have eyewitness accounts, yes. And the eyewitness accounts don't always jive perfectly, okay? But... That doesn't mean that, it, for instance, if you had two people describe the Titanic and they give you different details, well, does that mean the Titanic never sank? No, we know the Titanic sank. We know that Jesus rose from the dead, and the scholars all admit that, yes, the tomb was empty and that the apostles said that he appeared to them and they died for this, okay? And the thir- thir- um, th- there's another reason that people came to believe in the resurrection, and maybe it's the most important Jesus' resurrection is the fulfillment of the Jewish scriptures, okay? Remember, when he's on the road to Amos, he opens their mind to understand the scriptures and, and said to them, thus it was written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise again, Luke 24, 20, 45. Then the other disciples who reached, the other disciple, this is when John and Peter run to the tomb, then the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed 
for as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise from the dead. So John sees that the tomb is empty. He sees the burial cloth there. And it's like, yeah, the sleeping guards gave witness that somebody stole the body. But interestingly enough, they unwrapped the body and left the burial cloth there. So they stole a naked body. But the guards are witnesses, but they were sleeping. Um, right. And they had to move this huge stone away. The apostles had to come and move this. And, but the guards slept through it all. And by the way, to do that for a Roman soldier was a death, death penalty. So they took a bribe to take a chance that, you know, that, that, that the Sanhedrin would really fix it up with the governor so that they didn't end up dead. Okay, so the disciple in John 28 through 9, they didn't know yet the scriptures that Jesus had to rise from the dead. And then um, St. Paul, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 4, For I delivered to you of first importance what I received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Okay? So, the resurrection of the dead fulfills the scriptures. And by the way, that's that Corinthians, remember what Paul said, what he received. He said, I was not schooled in the gospel by any man, but it was revealed to me by Jesus Christ. And he's not talking about just on the road to Damascus when he was knocked down and and the Lord spoke to him. The risen Lord spoke to him because he goes off to Arabia for some time, and he is schooled in the gospel by Christ Himself through through revelation. Okay, so what do we have here? We have this New Testament, and 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 that the New Testament witnessed that Jesus said that that, that the Scripture said He would rise from the dead. That they're saying that what Scripture says He should rise from the dead. And it's interesting because um, there's only one passage in the gospel for the, um, from the Jewish scripture that Jesus cites as a direct prophecy of the resurrection on the third day. And it's the sign of Jonah in Matthew 12, 38 through 41, and in Luke eleven twenty nine through 32. Remember when the, the scribes and Pharisees say, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. And, and Jesus says, it's an evil generation that will seek for a sign. No sign will be given it to it but the sign of Jonah. Just as Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights, the Son of Man will be in the belly of the earth for three days and three nights. The men of Nineveh will arise with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, there's something greater than Jonah here. Matthew 12, 38 through 41. So what is this mysterious sign of Jonah that, the Lord is referring to. And it's interesting because, and I, I, I often have wondered too, I, you know, it's like, well, Jonah was in the, the whale and then he rose again, right? The resurrection, that's it, right? That, that Jesus rose. And Brent Petrie said, quite frankly, he, he, he was kind of skeptical about that. He's just like, he, he personally said, I have to make a confession here. I was like, Lord, couldn't you come up with a better example than that? I mean, so, so Jonah was in the belly of the whale. So how, how could anyone actually stay alive for three days and three nights in the belly of a whale? This is Brant Peachy writing, okay? And then one day he actually went back and read the book of Jonah in the Hebrew. In the Hebrew. And he found something out. He found out that the problem wasn't with Jesus. It was himself. And he says, he says is, is, I'm learning that's usually the case. For if you read the book of Jonah carefully, you will discover something interesting. The author of the book never claims that Jonah remained alive in the fish for three days and three nights. The, the book of Jonah doesn't claim that. 
that's what the you know we have the the movies and the Bible story and all that you know and 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 you have Pinocchio and and um, Geppetto and all that. But in fact, it's pretty explicitly says that Jonah died and went to the realm of the dead. Don't take my word for it. Go back and look for yourself without skipping Jonah's prayer. And Brant said that's what he used to do. He used to skip Jonah's prayer. Jonah one seventeen through three. Three. So the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and thou didst hear my voice. The waters closed in over me, the deep waters round, round about me, Weeds were wrapped about my head and roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. O Lord, my God. Oh, yeah, excuse me. Whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought my life from the pit. O Lord, my God, when my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. Okay. Then the word of the Lord came a second time to Jonah saying, Arise. Go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim the message. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. So Brant points out three key points here. First, Jonah says that he cried out to God from the belly of Sheol and from the pit. (gasps) Don't go away. Please ask everybody to come join us now. This is a great time. You want to hear the rest of the explanation that Brant Petrie gives about Jonah and the whale. And did he actually stay alive in the whale's belly for three days or did he die and rise? You're listening to Bible with Barbers on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Thank you for your support. Thank you for joining us. Don't go away. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, April the 14th. And again, Sunday is Mercy Sunday. Please prepare yourself. Go to confession and go to Mass and Communion on Sunday. Jesus has great graces uh, prepared for those who will do so. Um, and I want to give, again, uh, Brant Petrie, thank you for writing this book, The Case for Jesus, The Biblical and Historical Evidence for Christ. All right. So thanks be to God. And um, we want to, we're, we're looking at the resurrection and what it means. It means um, that if Christ isn't raised from the dead, then the preaching of the gospel is in vain and we're still in our sins and our faith is in vain. But Christ is raised from the dead. And again, the evidence, the empty tomb, the witness of those who saw him. And we have all of this, this reality. And so now we're, we're looking at the story, the sign of Jonah. What did Jesus mean when he said that the scriptures had to be fulfilled? Well, what were the scriptures that would have to be fulfilled? That Jesus, and Jesus said it's the prophecy is Jonah. Jonah was a sign uh, to, but he was a sign to the Ninevites. So what is this here? So we have the, the, the key points in Jonah's story. Jonah cried out from the belly of Sheol and the pit. They are standard Old Testament terms for the realm of the dead. 
And you can compare Psalms, Psalm 139, 7 through 8, and then the book of Job, 17, 13 through 16, and chapter 33, verses 22 through 30. And when Jonah says that his soul fainted within him, this is another way of saying he died. In other words, Jonah's prayer is a last gasp of a dying man. Thus, when the fish vomits Jonah out on the land, it's vomiting up his corpse. Finally, with all of this in mind, notice that God's first word to Jonah is, arise. This is the same Semitic word that Jesus used when he raises Jairus' daughter from the dead and says to her, meaning, little girl, I say to you, arise. In other words, the story of Jonah is the story of death and resurrection. So, is Jonas's resu- Jonah's resurrection, though, the climax of that story? Well, no. The climax of that story is the conversion of Nineveh. So what do we have here? So the sign that will be given to this generation is the sign of the prophet Jonah. What is the miraculous sign? Is it Jonah's miraculous um, rising from the dead you know, and being re- rescued from the fish? Or is it the repentance of the Gentiles? And the answer, Brant Peter says, is both. All right? The sign of Jonah is both the resurrection of the Son of Man on the third day and the repentance of the Gentiles that will follow his resurrection. And he gives you the parallels. So you have the sign of Jonah. You have the death and resurrection after the third day. And you have the sign of the Son of Man, the death and resurrection after the three days, three days in the tomb. And then you have the re- number two, the sign of Jonah, the repentance of the Ninevites in response to his preaching. And so what do we have after Jesus' resurrection? We have the repentance of the Gentiles in response to his preaching. Do we have any evidence of this being the case from the early fathers? Well, as a matter of fact, yes. Brant Peachy gives us the, as the, this evidence. Um, he quotes to us from Ambrose of Milan, the mystery of the church is clearly explained in Jesus' words about the sign of Jonah, the mystery of the church. Her flock stretches from boundaries of the whole world. The the stretch up to to Nineveh through penitence. The mystery is now fulfilled in truth. So it's not just that Jonah was saved from death. Now he was resuscitated. He didn't receive a glorified body. But that the Gentiles repented. And then you have Eusebius of Caesarea writes, Behold how today in our own times our eyes see not only Egyptians but every race of men who used to be idolaters released from the error of polytheism and the demons and calling on the God of the prophets. Yes, in our own time the knowledge of the omnipotent God shines forth and sets a seal of certainty on the forecast of the prophets. You see that this actually going on and you no longer only expect to hear of it. And if you ask the moment when the change began for all your inquiry, you will receive no other answer but the moment of the appearance of the Savior. The appearance of the Savior, his resurrection from the dead. And so, He frees us from the worship of of false gods. He frees us from the worship of demons. 
He, he frees us from the worship of any created thing to worship the one true God. And so we have... Um, So the Son of Man was crucified, the Son of Man was buried, the Son of Man was raised on the third day, and the tomb was empty, it still is. And the Gentiles turned to the God of Israel because something greater than Jonah is here. And remember in the prophet Daniel, in Daniel 2, 34 through 35, you had that stone that was hewn that destroys the kingdoms, that were the, the great statue that Daniel saw, the, the great statue, and and the stone that was hewn without a hand being set to it destroys the statue, which was uh, kingdoms of the earth. And it, fill, it becomes a mountain that fills the whole world. And yes, truly, the gospel has been preached to the whole world. And the, the greatest part of it is, is that it, we have this prophesying that one day the pagan nations of the world would turn to worship God, the God of Abraham. And it, it took place after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And if you want to see the prophecies, Isaiah 2, 1 through 3, Isaiah 25, 6 through 8, Isaiah 66, 18 through 21, Jeremiah 3, 15 through 18, Micah 4, 1 through 2, Zechariah 8, 20 through 23. And so we have this reality that the resurrection is something that is totally different than anything that's ever happened before. There is the witness of the empty tomb, the eyewitness of the people who saw him, who ate with him, who spoke with him, who touched him after his resurrection. And we have the fulfillment, the sign of Jonah, that Jonah was three days in, and three nights in the belly of the whale. But the evidence of the book of Jonah says that Jonah actually died. He didn't live in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights. He died. And God commands the, the, the fish to spit him out, and then God says to him, arise. He gives his life back to him, but not, he doesn't have, he's, he's not an immortal life yet. Jonah will still have to die. But the point of it was, and then, and then the Ninevites repent. When they hear the preaching of Jonah, they repent. In 40 days, you're going to be destroyed. What if we were to really convince ourselves that God is going to destroy our world if we don't repent of our sins? Would we repent? Are we going to follow the risen Lord into the resurrected light? Now, we'll receive our glorified bodies in heaven, not here on earth. But the resurrection, is, is it proves the divinity of Christ. And I really want to refer to the Catechism of the Catholic Church here. Um, again, I read the one um, that, you know, that it, it's the greatest proof of his, his divinity. And Christ's res resurrection is the fulfillment of the promise, both of the Old Testament and of Jesus during his earthly life in accordance with the scriptures, indicates that Christ's resurrection fulfilled these predictions. So paragraphs, it's not paragraphs, excuse me, it's numbers. It's in the meaning and, and, uh, of this, and saving significance of the resurrection. Um, numbers 651 through 655. And then you also have um, the, the historical and transcendent event of the resurrection, number 639, uh, through 640, and then you have the appearances of the risen one, 641 through 644. And it, it goes on, the resurrection. The resurrection is the work of the Trinity. So all of this, on the third day he rose again, it begins at number 638 in the, in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, and it goes all the way through 658. 
On the third day he rose from the dead. The meaning of the resurrection. Christ is risen from the dead. Dying, he conquered death. To the death, he has given life. And he frees us from a life of sin. And again, the greatest miracle, as Brent Petrie points out, is, is, is not um, his resurrection as it is so much he, the, the, the conversion of sinners. And this is what we are about as Catholic Christians, as Christians. Um, we're here to follow Christ, to spread the word, the good news of the gospel, that Jesus has conquered sin and death, that the demons have no power over us if we give our lives to Christ and pray and live the commandments. And I want to remind, I want to thank everyone, all of our supporters, all of our listeners. Um, I want to thank all of those of you who pray for us and support us with your sacrifices. Remember in uh, Galatians, Paul says, I fill up in my own flesh what is lacking. Is it? No, it's Colossians. I'm sorry, Colossians. I fill up in my own flesh what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ for the sake of his body, the church. We still need to pray and offer our sacrifices in union with Jesus for the sake of his body, the church, and to pray that more and more People will come to the church, that people will turn back to God. We live in a world where we have neo-paganism, where people have, who were Christian or, and believed in God have turned away and have turned to the things of this world. We need to beg God to give us the grace to turn back, to remove the blinders from our eyes and to arise in us, but arise in us through his Holy Spirit to inspire us to return to him. And we need to pray for each other. This Sunday is Mercy Sunday. God Jesus, through St. Faustina, promised that he would give complete remission of all sin and of all um, punishment due to sin for, to those people who would go to confession and receive Holy Communion in the state of grace on Mercy Sunday and recite the Chaplet of Mercy. So you can go to the Marians.org for more information on uh, Divine Mercy devotion. This devotion is to Christ, to the to our, our Lord who suffered and died for us. We believe and trust in his mercy. He died to save sinners. He doesn't just cover us over. He recreates us. He makes us a new creation. He fills us with his grace and his life. So um, there's so much that could be said about the resurrection. As a matter of fact, um, we get to celebrate this feast for Eight weeks. We've had this is the first week of Easter coming to a close right now, and we have seven more weeks until Pentecost. So we continue to celebrate the resurrection of the Lord. This is the greatest feast in the Christian um, calendar year, and so we acknowledge that Christ is truly raised from the dead. There's historical evidence for it. There were eyewitness accounts. It's not a myth that somebody made up. It really happened, and um, we thank God for the gift of faith. If you want the gift of faith, ask God for it. Okay? Thank you so much for joining us on Bible with the Barbers. Please share this with your family and friends. Let them know that there's a Catholic Bible study. They're welcome to listen at any time. Get the app. uh, Go to the podcast on our website. Thank you for supporting us. And uh, thank you for all of those of you who pray for us and offer your sacrifices for us. And um, I want to thank all of our app listeners who write in and ask questions. I'm still answering them. God bless you. We'll see you next week. God willing.